It's the dream of many, going to Hollywood, striking it big, becoming a huge movie star loved by all. But let's face it, Hollywood has a bad habit of chewing people up and spitting them out. And some, we don't even know what Hollywood did to them. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. I'm Amber again. Look at me, <laughs> I'm on vacation. I don't have a microphone. Woohoo! <laughs> I hope she listens to this. Oh, you know she's it's- going to. Amber is off uh, taking a break this week. She, quote unquote, accidentally forgot her bag with her microphone and laptop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, she loves doing this. I know that she would totally be doing this if she could. So, So, yeah, it is Scott and I, uh, classic style this week, coming to you. And we have a really fascinating case to get to. But real quick, let's do Rays of Light because, Scott, I've been waiting like all week for this. Do you want to um, do yours first? Yeah, do yeah, it. I do. Do it. Do it. All right. Mine is a reader email. Or reader. No. People don't read us, they listen to us. Mine is a listener email. Ooh, do tell. Uh about Sylvia Brown. Really? Uh-huh. Oh dear. Uh, did I piss somebody off? No, no, you did not, but I'm going to tell you. All right, so there's, a, there's more to this, but I'm just going to tell you the story first, okay. and then I'll tell you this person's opinions as well Okay. afterwards. So I want to make sure I give the full depth and breadth of this person's opinions, but the story I think I really need to set out there out of context, mainly to fuck with you. All right. Uh, so Sylvia Brown was a good friend of my dad's, and the last time I saw her, shortly after dad died, we talked, and I had always thought she was pretty much a fraud, and she said all the things I expected her to say. He's looking down on you, he's proud, etc. I said goodbye and started to walk away. She called after me in that three-packs-a-day voice of hers and said, You're skeptical, I know, but you've got 37 cents in your coat pocket, and a man named Juan is going to ask you for it. I said goodbye and left. As soon as I was out of eyeshot, I checked. I had 37 cents in there. There were tons of ways she could have figured that out, right? The next day, I was at the Safeway, a good 30 minutes away from where Sylvia had been doing her thing. In front of the Safeway, there was a Salvation Army bell ringer. The gentleman ringing the bell called out to me. Donation, sir? Spare change? He said. I'm an easy mark, but I also had no cash on me, so I padded down my pockets and came across my 37 cents. After I dropped it in the bucket, I looked at his name tag. Yep. Juan. Uh, You know what? I'm sorry. That's not good enough. Okay. So the context around this is I loved Sylvia a bunch, and I also loved, all caps, Scott's rant. She did, in (laughs) fact, have a gift. She was also, in fact, a fraud. Yep. (laughs) And that listener is Chris Garcia. Yay. (laughs) who will actually be joining us soon for our Jack the Ripper series. Yay, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, yeah, that's going to be so much fun. Uh, well, it's, you know, fun is brutal, brutal, horrifying murders to women in, in you know, a, a, a vulnerable position in society can be. So, yeah, I asked him, I was like, can I, can I, uh, 
can I say that on the episode and fuck with Scott a little bit? And he's like, absolutely. <laughs> so he, he ended the, the episode, or he ended the letter with, uh, it, but yeah, largely she was a fraud and deserving of Scott's righteous rage. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking it back for anything. Like, <laughs> if, if she would turn water into wine in front of me, I would look at her and go, where the fuck did you hide the instant wine packet? And, <laughs> and you're fucking, you're fucking missing out. Instant wine? That's a fucking million dollar maker right there. You can quit this phony baloney psychic bullshit. Yeah. All right. So what is your ray of light? I'm quitting my job tomorrow. I'm putting in my two weeks tomorrow. Whoa, and... I can't believe you're doing it tomorrow. I didn't realize you were, you told me earlier you were going to quit, but I didn't realize it was going to be tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting in my two weeks tomorrow. Uh, and you know what? I was really worried uh, I'm going to work for a private individual as an independent contractor, taking a little bit of a bump in pay, a little bit of a loss in benefits. Um, but quite honestly, like the insurance that I have through Atlantic Broadband, whoops, the insurance that I have through my business, <laughs> yeah, it's not the best. It is not the best at all. I. I have insurance and I've tallied up like $3,000 worth of medical bills while I have insurance. Oh my god, yeah, it, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to try to find my own insurance, and I'm going to use my little bit of a bump in pay, and yeah, it sucks, I'm not going to get free internet, whoop de doo it's $80 a month. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, and I, I had a rough time, I had a rough time going like, are you sure you want to work for a private individual? And then, you know, it came to me, you know, this dude's worth $4 million. And I made him $4,000 yesterday with my advice. Damn. In a day, in 24 hours, I made this guy $4,000 with my advice. And it was just kind of like one of those deals where I'm like sitting back going like, you know, if you were working for a business that was worth $4 million, you wouldn't bat an eye, but because this is one person, all of a sudden you're freaking out. You need to calm down. There you go. Well, congratulations, Scott. That's a big step. Uh, I know it's got to be nerve-wracking for you, but I'm very proud of you for, for taking it and taking a step towards uh, being a little a little happier because I know that your, your current position is not one that, that makes you very happy. <laughs> it's been a nightmare. <laughs> it's, That's another way of putting it. <laughs> it's been a waking nightmare. Whenever, whenever you're sitting talking about murder and you're feeling jealous of the victims because they have found the sweet release of death, time to find <laughs> a new job. Well, somebody who was, uh, had some bumpiness in her career, and then after that, um, nothing, was Gene uh, Spangler, who we're talking about this week. We're going to Hollywood. Good God. Can I just say this woman is like the hottest victim I've ever seen in my life? I do think that if we were so insensitive as to actually make a top ten list of our hottest victims of possibly violent crime that we've talked about, she would be on the rank. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> You're not going to. I've got some free time coming up. I've got free time and a legal pad. Nobody's mm -hmm. stopping me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God, there's this one photo of Gene Spangler where it's like, it's a very tasteful nude. And it's like her in front of like what seems to be some sort of like Grecian Doric column. And just like, mm, I says, mm. how, 
How deep did you go into the internet that you found a nude? Did like, you actually Google, like, Gene Spangler nude? No, 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 no. If you type in Gene Spangler, and like I said, it's a very tasteful nude. You're not seeing nip or anything. It is, <laughs> if you just type in Gene Spangler, it's... All right, uh, I'm looking. It's like... I mean, I've seen pictures, but I didn't see anything that was even... Oh, okay. It's it's one of those, it's like, it's like basically like ribs up, arm covering. Right, breasts. right. Okay. Yeah, that's a sexy picture. That's that, she honestly, she with that face, I don't know wh where what kind of talent she had, but with that face, she definitely had some at least some of the ingredients needed for stardom. Right? Right? She was absolutely breathtaking. Damn. Oh my goodness. Damn. It is. And there's there's like a, a much more wholesome picture of her just smiling with like a bow in her hair and yeah, even then it's like you know, it's like it's like the wholesome country girl and the sexy starlet. Yeah, it seemed like she would have some versatility and some range in in where she could go. So that, yeah, it definitely is uh, is sad. She was born September second, nineteen twenty three, in Seattle. She had at least two siblings, Edward and Betsy, that we know of. She did not, her family didn't stay in Seattle. At some point, they moved down to Los Angeles. She went to high school there and graduated in 1941. While she was a teenager, she actually danced at the Earl Carroll Theater and the Florentine Gardens. Uh, the Earl Carroll Theater actually billed itself as the largest legitimate theater in the world. Wait, legitimate? I know, right? Uh, you know, there's there's a there's a shady place in Greece, but we don't trust it. <laughs> and I love the thing is that it was it was quite big, so big that it kept on shutting down because people couldn't afford to run it. <laughs> Man. So maybe not so much something to brag about. <laughs> We're the most in debt <laughs> in debt theater in the world. Jesus Christ, our finances are poor. Come on down, please. If you bring a biscuit and some gravy, you get it free. I'm so hungry. Bring, bring canned food. It's not for the homeless. <laughs> she was, uh, Jean Spangler was uh, called a statuesque brunette. She had blue eyes. In 1941, so pretty much, you know, right after she graduated, uh, she married Dexter Benner who was a plastics manufacturer and was also in the U.S. Army, because if you didn't notice the date, 1941, right about wartime there. This relationship was not built to last. It was not built to last six months, which is how long it took for her to file for divorce. Her divorce papers cited cruelty as the reason, but they still had an on and off again Thing until the divorce finalized, which didn't happen until 1946. Right. It kind of makes you wonder how they even got past saying hello without hating mm -hmm. each other. Yeah, these two did not. They, they were definitely of the oil and water relationship variety. And hey, sometimes opposites can attract, but sometimes they can also repel. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like that was uh, Dexter Benner and Gene Spangler. Uh, they did... Three years after, two to three years after f filing for divorce, and two years before the divorce became final, they had a daughter, Christine. So, 1944, they had Christine. 
Um, while Dexter was in the South Pacific, and they must have been on again at that point, she had an affair with a man named Scotty, who was an Air Corps lieutenant. She broke that off in 1945, and it's said that Scotty was quite violent with her and had told her that he would kill her if she dumped him. Bad form for Scots everywhere. I'm a little upset with Airman Scotty. Yeah, right. Yeah, Airman Scotty not uh, not coming off too clean here. Wait they, a minute. However, we have a we have a Scotty and a little bit later we have a Kirk. This is like some weird nefarious Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Um and then she actually, you know, by the time she didn't see him after 1945 essentially. So, so you know, it, it didn't seem like anything really remained of that. There was a drawn-out custody battle for Christine. Now, at first, the courts gave Dexter custody, and Dexter's comment that maybe was part of the reasoning for that was, quote, Gene prefers parties to priorities, end quote. That's a good line. It is a good line. You've got the alliteration there. It's a little much on the alliteration, honestly, but it's catchy. I mean, you could make a, a jingle out of that. Like, Gene prefers parties to priorities. I just heard that in the echo on my headphones, and I hate myself like a lot. No, 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 you shouldn't. No. Parties <laughs> to priorities. I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a jingle for green beans. Nobody knows why. It's like a perfume commercial. She likes them actors, and she likes the sporties. But her children are over there. She doesn't have a care. And pretty soon, all that will be left will be three hairs. All that will be left will be what? Three hairs. Look, I, I'm tired. I don't. Three hairs. Okay. I just. I did. It trailed off a little bit, so I didn't hear. It, it was. It was fine. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it was clear. It's, it's, all, good. it's all good. You're good. You're good. Um, Once I get some rest, I'll be back in singing shape. I swear to God. Absolutely, yes. So she, Jean said that Dexter had kept Christine from her 23 times after he was granted custody. And then the courts eventually said that, you know, she appeared to have changed her priorities. And of course, they, back then, they, it's, it's a surprise really that back then they would have given custody to the father. Um, but they did switch it over to the, the mother in 1948. Honestly, it's a surprise today whenever they give custody to the father and not the mother. Well, they do tend more to do split custody 50-50, um, unless there's some like really overwhelming reason not to. Uh, I, I think judges today have, have gotten a lot more, you know, make the father have some goddamn responsibility, <laughs> you know, and make everybody, everything should be, be equal down the middle there. Um, I, I, but... I once had to take a paternity test and I'm sitting in, in like the, uh, the laboratory and I looked at the nurse and I said, I bet I'm the only man hoping that the test comes back, that it is my kid. And she goes, yeah, pretty much. Oh, <laughs> so, God. Fuck. Guess what? <laughs> it didn't. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm not bitter about it. I just, you know, think about revenge every fucking hour of the day. That's not bitterness at all. No. <laughs> not at all. Uh, not at all. So when she got custody of Christine, she was living with her mother Florence, her brother Edward, and Edward's wife Sophie. Now they were living near, interestingly, Wilshire Boulevard, which was a location that came up in our old tiny crimey this week. Mm. So... That's something to think about. Um, 
her career really kind of, it never took off, but she got further than some people get. She would dance in nightclubs. She got some bit roles in films. Usually they were uncredited. In fact, always they're uncredited. She has eight credits on IMDb, but every single one has in parentheses uncredited. She was, she was essentially the background dancer. Almost mm-hmm, every yeah. film at the time had a little dance number. Think of the Andrews sisters. You know, that was, that was their big thing. That was their claim to fame, the dance numbers, the song and dance and movies. And, yeah, she was the background dancer. No reason to credit Ex- them. Exactly, yeah. Start, she started around 1948 is when her credits start, and they run to 1950. Uh, and she, she has audience member, dancer, showgirl, chorus girl, pretty girl, stuff like that. So, yeah, exactly what Scott said. Yeah. She I think had... I think my f- my favorite bit part in any movie uh, is uh, there's a dad joke in Pulp Fiction. Uh, there, but right before a guy gets shot, he goes, "I'm just a diner," and boom, he gets shot. And at the in the credits, he's listed as diner. <laughs> oh, Supposed to be like, "I'm just a diner manager," but I'm just a diner. That's that's how he's listed in the credits. That's hilarious. Now, she had one of her uncredited roles was in a movie called Young Man with a Horn, which would come out in 1950. She was a hula dancer in that. That film starred Kirk Douglas, Lauren Bacall, and Doris Day. Uh, I have a story about Lauren Bacall. Please do. All right. Love, love, love me some Lauren Bacall, so much so that when I saw her autobiography on my mother-in-law's bookshelf i was like can i take this home with me please if sylvia brown only smoked three packs of cigarettes a day she'd sound like lauren bacall yeah so you think i'm sexy now that's lauren lauren bacall was actually on her way out to hollywood for her first auditions she had done some chorus girl type stuff in new york city and She's on the train. She steps outside uh, to get a breath of fresh air and gets hit with a cinder in the eye. And her eye is like watering constantly. She, and she has to go to this audition with, you know, and she, with Humphrey Bogart. I believe she actually did uh, um, audition opposite Bogart in that particular audition. It was for To Have and To Have Not. And her eye was so bothering her that she couldn't look up at him so she kept on kind of casting her eyes downward and the director loved it so much that he was like okay you're a you're hired and b keep doing that and that eventually became known they they advertised that it was the bacall look where she almost looks like she's sort of shyly looking away and downward but it was all because a cinder hit her in the eye man that's rough whenever you get known for that and before every job, you have to jam a cigarette in your eye. Well, I'm sure she became a good enough actress to fake it. No. No, trust <laughs> me. She didn't. No, uh, she was a fantastic actress. She, I love Lauren Bacall. I love Bacall. You she, cannot say words against Lauren Bacall. She just, she, I mean, she was a good actress, but I mean, you know, she spent a lot on cigarettes. Well, yeah. yeah. It, was the, it was the thing. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> did. So, okay. Um, so that's my Lauren Bacall story. Now, this, uh, apparently, Gene Spangler met Kirk Douglas on the set of this film. How much interaction they had, we'll get into it. You know, we really 
only have one side of the story, but uh, I do have a couple of interesting bits about the the film itself. There is actually a reference to homosexuality in it that they had to be super sneaky about because, of course, you had the Hayes Code and everything with, you know, the censorship and all. What happens is uh, Kirk Douglas's character walks out on Lauren Bacall's character and he calls her, quote, a very sick girl. Hmm. That's it. That's the reference that Bacall is a lesbian. Now, Bacall was in her mid-20s at the time, and she said years later, she looked back and she was like, oh, I was playing a lesbian. Oh, shit. <laughs> she just she had no idea. She was, she was pretty naive, and it was also so subtle that it just never hit her. She, I think that line just like ran through her head, and she was like, what did that line mean? Oh. It means also, it means exactly what everybody thought it meant. Yeah. You sick girl, you. And also, Scott, you're going to love this one. Uh, the film was released in Australia. However, they did have to change the title to Young Man with a Trumpet because the word horn means at the dick. time. It's your erection, dick. But yes. Yeah. Dick erection, I guess. Yeah. Either It could go either way. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of cracked me up. <laughs> All right. So. Jean Spangler. So she was in this movie. She was in a couple other movies, but really always in the background. On October 7th, 1949, she leaves her home. Uh, She leaves her daughter with her sister-in-law. And she's going to go off to the grocery store. And she says she's going to meet her ex, Dexter, as A, he was behind on child support by about a week. And B, speaking of child support, she wanted more. So... After that, she was supposed to go to a film shoot. And that was basically what she told her sister-in-law. This is my schedule. Ask for more child support and then go to the film shoot. It's going to be a night shoot. She did leave without any money. She kissed her daughter on the cheek, said, wish me luck with a wink. And then she left. Good Lord. That breaks my heart. I know. I know. It's rough. Uh, Her mother at the time was not around. She was away in Kentucky visiting relatives. Now, we do have some sightings of Jean. She was spotted by a saleswoman at the grocery store around six, and it looked like she was waiting for someone to meet her or for somebody to pick her up. Then now these aren't mentioned in most of the articles, but the the Hodel book that you'll hear about in the sources that we'll talk about a little bit later, um, this mentions these. And being that it's written by a former LAPD detective, I, I think we can trust. Uh, so I, it shocked me that I didn't see these in any of the sources until I looked at that book, and then I was like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wow. So she was seen at the Cheesebox restaurant, new favorite restaurant name, also my punk band. <laughs> there it is, Cheesebox restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is on Sunset Boulevard. The proprietor saw her. Uh, he was an acquaintance of hers. He saw her with a man at a front table around 1.30 a.m. Uh, the man was described as appearing to be pretty neat. He had brown hair, tall, between 30 and 35 years old. Around 2 a.m., another individual sighted them in the same spot. And then at 2 a.m., they're also seen, well, she and, and two other men now, so there's just a, another man has joined the, the party, by a, a radio DJ named Al the Sheik Lazar. Of course. The I love old-timey nicknames. I love them so. 
<laughs> the and sheik. He, the he would, sheik. Jesus Christ. And the, the sheik would broadcast from the cheese box. Of course he would. Why not? I bet he wore a turban, too. Probably. And mm -hmm. he was pr Pro probably white as all get out. I don't know. You should look him up before I say that. Absolutely. <laughs> Hold on. How do you spell that name? I'm finding this picture right now. Al the Sheik uh, Lazar? Yeah, Al regularly spelled. And then the Sheik is... Uh, what? No, that can't be it. Maybe there's no pictures of him. There's too many Sheiks and everything. Damn it. Let's see. Maybe here. I need to be more specific. Al the Sheik Lazar. The problem is, the problem is Al is Arabic for son. Oh God. Yeah, yeah. It's this is really having a hard time coming up with anything. Uh, wait a second. What's that? That that looks old. The Dick Lane you didn't know about. No, that's probably not it. Dick Lane. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It just it just never ends really. This T V radio life uh magazine, the Dick Laney didn't know story on page forty two, the champ baka, then that seems to be actually all about boxers still, so that's probably okay. Gonna, so yeah, we're not gonna find it. I'm gonna put an Al Lazar DJ and see if anything comes I up. I did try adding DJ, and it's it seemed to get even more diverse, the results. Yeah, dude, I didn't even put in the word chic, and I'm getting tons of Middle Eastern men. That's weird. Yeah. All right, well, we, we will... I'm, I might have to hunt for this later, because it's really bothering me. It was um, it was Hollywood. It was 1950. He is no 1940s, I guess. He's obviously a white dude. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're very likely correct in in that assumption that that we both are making. So, um, so yeah, Al the Sheik Lazar goes over to them. Uh, they they seem to have a little bit of an argument going on between the woman Spangler uh, and the two men. Uh, he goes up, he wants to do an interview with the occupants of the table, but one of the men was like, basically gave him the, hey, you know, bug off signal, and he, so he just went away. Now, she was supposed to be at a shoot that night, wasn't she? Well, she called Sophie around seven and said that she'd have to work eight hours and wouldn't be home that night. Uh, she never showed up for work that night, according to the records, and there were, in fact, no night shoots scheduled that evening at the studio. Yeah, and even the Screen Extras Guild had no records indicating she worked that night. Screen Actors Guild? Screen Extras or was there Guild. It was Screen... Did I read that as Screen Actors when it was Screen Extras all the time? My brain just, like, filled that in. You know what? Maybe I said Screen Actors. <laughs> I haven't slept very well in three days. I okay, could well, I could have gotten some good sleep Tuesday, but somebody was fighting with somebody else on the front in front of my house on the sidewalk. I love living in Johnstown. I really thought you were like subtweeting your cats there. No. <laughs> like you were like like you have the cats like you were like and somebody was fighting with somebody else. No, it's just some guys going like, "Who the fuck do you think you are?" And then another guy going, like, I'll fucking show you who the fuck I am for three hours in front of my house. Oh, my God. You know, sometimes I bemoan the fact that we, you know, our house is not in a particularly walkable area. But sometimes I'm really glad for that. <laughs> I thought coronavirus was going to take care of all this. I was wrong. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's not over yet. Yep. All right. So she uh, never showed up for work. There were no night shoots. The next day, she didn't show up at home. So her sister-in-law goes to the LAPD and files a missing persons report. Now, as you see, I mean, if you listen to true crime podcasts, like at all, if you've listened to one true crime podcast, at some point you've heard about an instance where somebody went to the police and filed a missing persons report and they were like, oh, they're just a runaway. Oh, they're just off having a fling. Oh, they're on a bender. It's it's so frequently the assumption that it is so frustrating when work could be being done on these things and nobody's doing it. Mm-hmm. Especially in the most crucial time, the first yes. 24 hours. Exactly. Yes. So they didn't do a damn thing first. They didn't even, the smallest thing they could do is put on the teletype, Gene Spangler, missing person. Didn't do that. They were just like, ah, she's just off, you know, probably like banging some dude. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> and for the love of God, listeners, if you have somebody that you love that ends up missing, don't wait the 24 hours. That's that's movie bullshit that you have to wait 24 hours to declare someone missing. If someone doesn't show up and they were supposed to be there an hour ago, fucking call the cops if you can't find them. Especially today. Especially in this day and age, yeah, when right. we can track people and you should, like, I mean. Right? Like, where yeah. are you at? Well, I'm, you know, I, I, I have my phone. Oh, okay. You know, I'll see you when you get here. You know, they're not answering their phone. They should have showed up two hours ago. Where are they? Yeah. Fucking report them missing. Better to look stupid than to, than to like, have to deal with milk cartons. Guilty every, feeling guilty every time you drink a cup of milk. What I think is probably hugely ironic is, yeah, in general, the 24 or 48 hours thing isn't actually true. But there are probably some police departments that adopted it just because everybody expected it. Assholes. Assholes. Yeah. So two days after her disappearance and the day after it was reported, her purse is found at Griffith Park, about five and a half miles away from where she was last seen, or at least from the grocery store. Because that information is from an article that had her last seen at the grocery store. And I don't know how close in proximity the grocery store was to the cheese box. Sentences I never thought I'd say. File that under. Yep. There it is. <laughs> Another great folk song. <laughs> the handles were ripped, but everything was still inside. And, you know, I said that she left with no money. Nobody had actually put any money in the purse, shockingly. Now, this really got the police's attention. The Black Dahlia had been just two years before, and not even two months before, a Bel Air socialite and widow, the improbably named Mimi Boomhauer, had gone completely missing, just vanished into thin air. So there was a lot of this kind of going around. If you'd like to find out more about Mimi, give us a dollar. Actually, I think they have to give us five for that. Give us five dollars. We should make a special, 37 cents, and one will tell you the story <laughs> of, of Mimi. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, that is our old tiny this week. Very, uh, you know, close in connection, depending on who you ask, might be even the same potential culprit. So we'll get into that. 
but the purse was found at the Ferndale entrance, which I looked at Google Maps and I was having a hard time. I started having so many locations. I was having a hard time incorporating everything, but it does seem like if you go from her apartment to where I kind of suspected the grocery store might be to the park, it would be the first entrance you'd hit. So maybe my thinking is purse thrown there. Of course it's near the entrance. It was just a place of convenience. It was like, where's the nearest wooded place. Okay. Well, you know, we're driving, we're driving, we're driving. There is one. Let's toss it in there. That's my thought, but I don't know. I think you're probably right. I think they, you are probably right. And this is interesting, because, and probably part of what has made this such an enduring case, in addition to, you know, the fact that she had so much potential and it's so con- like confusing what the hell happened to her. But there was in her purse a note. It read, quote, Kirk, can't wait any longer going to see dr scott it will work best this way while mother is away and then it appeared to end with a comma and then no signature or anything like that which made police think that she'd been writing the note and then was interrupted hmm. yeah it's 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 a thinker they did search Griffith Park. Uh, 60 officers were involved in the search and w- well over 100 volunteers. All they found was an L.A. County jail inmate's uniform in a shallow hole. That's weird. That's super weird. Now, I do have to state the source that I got that from, which it all gets mixed up. It, it was It's one of the sources listed, but it didn't say inmate it said la county jail uniform and i was like uh that could be a guard or an inmate but then it said it was denim so my assumption immediately went to i'm i'm assuming but on what i feel is pretty strong evidence that it was an inmate yeah let's see in a shallow hole in a shallow hole yeah a bloodhound found it i really want to know how close that uniform where it was found was to the purse. Like, that's not any information we can find, but I am super curious. Yeah, it's so strange that you couldn't... Why, you know, the the prisoner numbers are usually on their uniforms. Why True. couldn't you line this up with the prisoner it belonged to? Maybe they didn't. Maybe that was just, you know, before they put prisoner numbers on the uniforms? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, you're right about that. Um... Or maybe they just they followed the trail and it never went anywhere and they were never never able to make any connection to Gene Spangler. It was two completely separate incidents. Yeah. That's an odd one. That's really odd. It is so odd. Yeah, that definitely raised my eyebrows. Now, of course, when somebody goes missing or some foul play befalls them, you talk to generally if it's a woman and there have been in heterosexual relationships, you talk to the males. Mm-hmm. have been in heterosexual relationships. It's just the thing. You start close and work your way out. Round up so everyone they... with a penis. Exactly. So they talked to Dexter Benning. He also seems to have a, a pretty strong motives, having had you know all this, this on and off relationship that seems pretty turbulent, the custody battle, all this stuff. He's questioned, and he says, now, I'm, I'm going to sing it loud for those in the cheap seats. Sources very wildly. Oh, that was really nice. That Thank was you. I think I feel like nice. I did start off strong and then lost it towards the end, but I'm happy with the start at least, so I'll take it. No, I... 
quite nice. Quite nice. Very good job. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, yeah, he uh, either hadn't seen her in weeks or hadn't seen her in two years. I, 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 it, well, if you're talking 52 of the weeks and then take that 104 weeks, yeah, a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, right. Just like whenever that cop pulled me pulled me over in front of your house. You know, I was like, you pulled over recently? No. Says you were here. That was three years ago. Well, that's pretty recent to us. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the weeks is probably right because they shared a child. And I would imagine, especially after him having custody of the child, you know, she, I don't she may have gotten physical custody, but surely he had to have some visitation or something. It's not just you're immediately cut off unless you're, you know, a child abuser or something. Mm -hmm. He was questioned and he said he hadn't seen her in either weeks or two years, probably weeks since they had a daughter, I would think. Mm -hmm. And the night of her disappearance, he had an alibi. He was at home with his new wife of one month, Lynn, and Lynn backed him up on this. Because she knew what was good for her. That's pretty much exactly what went through my head. So yep. we're thinking alike. Um, you want to accidentally friend... fall down the stairs again, baby? Where was I? <laughs> I just laughed at domestic violence. Damn it. That's okay. It happens. You made it funny. <laughs> I did. I mean, I can, go, right. I can go further if you want. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's okay. That's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing on. Christy. Christy. <laughs> What? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Why are battered wives never deep fried? No. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you did it you again. Finish it, yes. So, okay. A friend of Jean's, male friend, mentioned talking with her on Saturday night, which the disappearance was on a Friday, at a Hollywood market, but then he changed his story to say, oh, no, 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 actually, I saw her the day before she disappeared. And that's a little shaky, but, I mean, nowadays, when time means literally nothing, I can't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> Some things she had told people recently. Uh, the previous Wednesday, prior to her disappearance, she told Robert Cummings, the star of her last film. Scott, did you want to make fun of his name? No, I'm good. There's, I just made fun of domestic violence. I, think, I feel like I need to take a break. Oh, yeah, you want to leave some room in there. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I have standards. Yes. Now, he was the star of the last film she was in. And she had told him, she, she seemed happy. She was whistling. So he was like, oh, why are you so happy? And she's like, oh, I'm just, I'm seeing a guy. And he said, quote, is it serious? End quote. She replied, quote, not exactly, but I'm having the time of my life. End quote. Ooh. But nobody knew who the guy was. Man. It's all so much. I'm a little jealous of him. Of Robert Cummings? No, of whoever, whoever that Spangler oh. was with. Oh, oh, okay, all right, yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get it. She was quite, she was quite the gal. Um, her mother did say that regarding the the note when they read the note to her, she said, "Well, a couple of times a guy named Kirk picked her up from our house, from our apartment, whatever." 
But he never came in. He just always stayed in the car, waited for her, maybe did the little, you know, beep, beep, you know, something like that. Most intriguingly, perhaps, she told a friend she was three months pregnant and had mentioned wanting an abortion, which, as you can imagine, was illegal at the time. Mm-hmm. out, And especially the Kirk connection and the fact that she had been in one of his films recently. So he actually is on vacation in Palm Springs and he calls the police to be like, it wasn't, wasn't me, wasn't me. I was here. And I barely even remember the girl. He said he just, he he could kind of sort of describe her. And he said, we just, we chatted on set. We joked around a little bit, but there was nothing beyond that. There was nothing off set. That was it. Which I still have my questions about Kirk Douglas, but again, we'll get into that. Uh, Kirk Douglas wasn't the (laughs) night by all intents and purposes. He wasn't the nicest guy in the world. Are we going to get into this now? Because I can get into this now. And Natalie Wood? Are we going to talk about Natalie Wood? We are, in fact, going to talk about Natalie Wood. Yeah. Let me just uh, bookmark where I was so I don't completely forget because I have to scroll down a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Okay. We were going to move on to Dr. Scott, so I'll just highlight that. Okay. So, yeah, the Natalie Wood thing. Now, there are, we will say, unsubstantiated allegations that Kirk Douglas brutally raped Natalie Wood, who was 16 at the time, in 1954. I had 15. 15 is a possibility, too. Yeah. Uh, with something like that that's unsubstantiated, age tends to be, you know, kind of, you know, who the hell knows. Right. Right. Uh, and this is kind of verified through several sources. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's unsubstantiated because Natalie Wood herself never actually came forward and reported it, but we have like her sister. It's yeah, there, there's there's some it some evidence that definitely points that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's pfft. Alfred Hitchcock said in an interview. Uh, once the it's it's hard for the romance on screen not to carry over to the private li- lives of the actors, and Kirk Douglas went. An actor is supposed to immerse himself in the role. Um, and he wasn't even just to clarify to, to, to how that reflects on Kirk Douglas and Natalie Wood. She wasn't in a film with him at the time. She was basically going to his hotel room to see about being in a film with him. It was very very Weinstein. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. And he's there there's been kind of like story after story after mm-hmm. story. Uh and Natalie Wood, I, I adore Natalie Wood. Um as as anybody who has been listening might have noticed, I have a thing for like Hollywood starlets of like the forties, fifties, sixties. Right, right. Uh, uh, did you know, Scott, about Natalie Wood's mother and the fortune teller? It's, is it Sylvia Brown again? That, it's not Sylvia Brown. That it's not fucking bitch is haunting me. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I literally have in my notes just to piss Scott off. Uh-huh. Um, a note about Natalie Wood. Her mother was told by a fortune teller before Natalie was even born that she would have a daughter who would be a great beauty known worldwide but who would die in dark waters. Man, oh, yeah. And she did, in fact, drown. 
uh, off of a, uh, you know, there was a boat and there was a, a small gathering of, uh, you know, Natalie Wood and I believe uh, Robert Wagner. Uh, and Christopher Walken. Which I have in my notes gives Scott an opportunity to do his Walken impression. I got I got a joke for you, Christy. You want to hear a joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's the only kind of wood that doesn't float? Oh, no. Have you, have you heard this one? Have you heard it? Come on. I, I got this joke on eBay. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> that is terrible. eBay should ban that seller. Um, <laughs> don't right, don't so do yeah, that. Where cur- am I going to buy my Transformers? <laughs> <laughs> I sold a Natalie Wood joke to Christopher Walken. Yay. Fuck. That is the Natalie Woods and Kirk Douglas stuff, and then Kirk Douglas and Gene Spangler. Who the hell knows? I mean, it's really as far as this whole entire Gene Spangler thing, it basically does end up at who the hell knows, as far as I'm concerned. Now, did you hear how like uh, like Robert Downey Jr. I did read about that. Yes, yeah. supposedly had. Uh, an account and would leave little, you know, hot items on a, a random gossip blog um, and some stuff that seemed to verify that it was him. But then, of course, his publicist, you know, immediately denied it. And But one of those things was basically a, a, quite a description of the Natalie Wood incident because he was in a film with Natalie Wood's daughter. Yeah, it was uh, here. Here's the here's the I, I think the entire thing is amazing. He goes, uh, this concerns one of the biggest male stars ever, one of the most beloved female stars to ever live. One day she was invited to meet this movie star about an upcoming major role. This man was a legend already and was very powerful. Thinking she herself was powerful and savvy, she accepted the invite in his hotel room and she never saw it coming. Without even discussing the film, this actor, drunk already, began making a pass at her. She politely declined, excused herself, but he wouldn't have it. He literally threw her down, slapped the hell out of her, ripped her clothes off. He shouted obscenities at her and continually punched her and held her arms so tight he left scars. Spitting on her did permanent damage to her. She was bleeding everywhere with a battered face. She passed out. When she came to, the actor was still in the room gloating and told her to come see him tomorrow night and he might give her the role. He laughed at her as she fell down, her legs so wobbly and weak. She gathered her torn clothes and tried to walk out of the hotel into her car. Blood and other fluid running down her legs and bruises already forming on her face. She could barely make it back home in her car. She wanted to kill herself, so ashamed of what happened. The damage to her psyche was permanent and haunted her forever. Her mom said she must have made the actor mad and offended him. They called a doctor who took her to a hospital secretly to have her treated. The studio knew and did nothing. After all, the star actor was a money machine. She grew into an amazing woman with a legendary career, but she never forgot or forgave and never got over what happened. She never named the actor uh, publicly, but her friends and family knew the truth. Even after her marriage and kids, if she saw this actor anywhere, she would almost convulse and cry. And worst of all, Hollywood and the world continued to honor him, pay him, and treat him like a king. Today, he's still alive and barely holding on. But those who know the truth are still hoping and praying that he will rot in hell for eternity. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. And, oh, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Oh. 
Yeah. Natalie Ward deserved a better life. Yeah, and it's a thing where the the person who posted this uh, called himself him, and that's mm-hmm. capital H I four M's, and and then Downey Jr. It's speculated that Robert Downey Jr. is him, and then he almost kind of outs himself on a sister on a site called Jezebel, and he tells almost the same story. Um, yeah, yeah, he worked with Natalie Wood's daughter, uh, Natasha Gregson Wagner, and yeah, he kind of alludes to the fact that him is him. Yeah, yeah, there is, uh, I should note, for anybody interested in the the story of Natalie Wood, uh, I listened to a, a podcast called Fatal Voyage, and they did a series on Natalie Wood's life and death and a little investigation into that. They also did... Uh, Princess Die and JFK Jr. So a really uh, interesting podcast and pretty well done. It's done by a, um, a former private investigator from Australia. So actually, all right. Yes, now the Natalie Wood stuff uh, does definitely call into question, but it happening once, possibly. You know, I okay. If you're gonna ask me who I believe, I believe Natalie Wood. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. If Especially if she would had, had come forward, but it seems like these kinds of things do become open secrets. Uh, we're going to get sued. <laughs> I'm just oh, going to so put people have speculated. Just going to put a big allegedly, and according yes, to. allegedly is good. Yes. yes. So, but yeah, if this allegedly happened, then I could definitely see him being brutal with more women, including Gene Spangler, and then lying about his whereabouts and the, the fact that he didn't know her very much. So I'm just saying. And the Kirk thing really does seem to tie it together. But there could be tons of Kirks. You know, who knows? So uh, there's also the question of the Dr. Scott mentioned in the note. Isn't there, Scott? You're just all over the place in this episode. I wasn't even born. That's my alibi. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty good one as alibis go. It's I think just, just so. Just about foolproof. I think so, honestly. That's a pretty good one. So uh, they thought, of course, that Dr. Scott might be uh, a doctor who performed abortions. They tried to find every doctor they could of that name in the area, questioned them, didn't really come up with anything. Not like they're going to admit it, but still. Um there was, uh, they did go to a nightclub that she tended to patronize, talked to some people there, and they found out about a former med student who went by Doc. I did find one source that said he went by Scotty, uh, and who would do abortions around the Sunset Strip. And it always said for a fee. And I'm like, what is he? Like, what do people think? He's Planned Parenthood? He's not doing this shit for free. Yeah. <laughs> You know, or a sliding scale or whatever. Um, Looks like it's twins. We got a, we got a, uh, you know, buy one, get one half off. Oh, God. Uh, but they never found him. Uh, since they never found him, they never even talked to him. They never even could really verify that he was more than just a, a completely false rumor. He's yeah. just a ghost. Yeah, but that's, that's kind of where the Hodel thing comes in. A lot of people think Dr. Scott was Dr. Hodel. Yeah, so yeah, Dr. Hodel, uh, as we mentioned, uh, we mentioned a little bit about the Hodel stuff earlier. Uh, he 
was said to have done abortions. And his son, Steve O'Dell, is a 24-year veteran of the LAPD. And he actually, and he, he had been a detective on the LAPD as well. He connects the murders to, um, basically, he connects the Black Dahlia, the Mimi Boomhauer disappearance that we discussed in the old Tiny, uh, and several other disappearances and murders, including Gene Spangler, to his father via various uh, forensic and other type of connections. Um, also, you know, possibly connects his father, Dr. George Hodell, to the Chicago lipstick murders, the Manila Jigsaw murder, and the Zodiac. And you know what? Quite honestly, makes a pretty good case. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be reading that whole book sometime soon because uh, it, it, I'm, I'm really, really fascinated with this. Now, Hodel was considered a strong suspect uh, in this by the police, but he was never charged. So nothing really came of that uh, as far as, you know, in, in reality. Uh, now, there was uh, in... In an October 14th article uh, in the Washington, D.C. Evening Star, uh, that article noted two sightings of Jean Spangler since her disappearance. She was seen in Stockton and Salinas, I think, hmm. is the pronunciation there. Um, so I'm going to say Salinas. I'm going to say Salinas. The only thing that makes me question is that I know in uh, Colorado, there's a town I've passed through that I believe is called Salida. And it, it's does, it looks like it should be Salida, but it's Salida. Uh, so that's the only thing that makes me go, ah, maybe, but sounds like a, it sounds like a Massachusetts person asking for a white castle, but go, I want a Salida. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, she was also seen by an acquaintance in North Hollywood in a car. So, these are all pretty shaky as far as I'm concerned. Think about it that if you know somebody, if somebody you know is missing, um, it's going to be that phenomenon where you think you see somebody everywhere. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like they're going to suddenly become like, it's got to be the missing person's version of Bader Meinhof. Yeah. Yeah, like the Bader Meinhof phenomenon, where once you see a, a concept or a word or something, it suddenly starts popping up everywhere. It's, I, it, I think it, the most common thing is whenever you buy a particular brand of car, all of a sudden you notice how many people actually own your car. Absolutely, yes. There are so there are few people who own my particular car, but more people with Volkswagens than I realized. So. Yeah. Yes, it is exactly that. Scott, if you went missing tomorrow, God forbid, and I actually ever left my house, I would definitely see you everywhere. I would be like, is that Scott? Is that Scott? Because you're hyper aware for it. You're yeah. hyper vigilant. So, yeah. Yeah, just should be wait until the, I hope I disappear in the winter. So it's just like if you actually see somebody wearing shorts, it might actually be me. It's either you or Cody. Yeah, one of the two. <laughs> and I, Cody weighs like 200 pounds less than I do. So I think that's a. And he's he's like a foot and a half taller than me, so I think that's a that's a pretty safe bet. You're, you're going to be able to tell from a distance, is what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah, I think that those these sightings tend to be of that variety. Maybe they could also be legit. Gene uh, Spangler was known to have affairs with some men around L.A. and Palm Springs. Interestingly, that Kirk Douglas was vacationing there. Mm. 
Um, including a man named David Ogle, who is known as Little Davy. And if you have a nickname, you're in the mob. Yeah, I guess. You know, that's kind of a weird, weird stereotype. It, it just seems to be, you know, it's not necessarily everybody in the mob has a nickname, but if you have a nickname in this time period, you're in the damn mob. I'm damn. just saying. Because, uh, all right, so he, he palled around with Mickey Cohen, was, who was a big, Cohen was a big gangster. Um, and supposedly Gene Spangler actually got into this world just a little bit on the fringes of the gang world while she was dancing at the Florentine Gardens in her younger years, which was a little bit of a hot spot. Um, now, the, the books that I mention generally, unless I'm doing a deep dive, they're, they're previews on Google Books. Um, so I was not able to actually find all of this, but I found a mention to little Davy Ogle uh, being one of the seven dwarves in Cohen's gang. Oh, my God. Do you really? know how hard that is to Google? Really? That's fantastic. Yep, yep. Like All it. of his henchmen, they were called the Seven Dwarves, and I could not Google that because everything was Disney and nothing was mobster. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame? I know, right? I can't, I can't find anything about Walt Disney being cryogenically frozen anymore. You know why? Because of the movie Frozen. If I put in <laughs> Walt Disney Frozen, just that fucking movie comes up. God damn it, I want my legitimate Disney on ice. <laughs> Shit. Okay, yes. Was, thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Okay, so. Um, so, yeah, and Gene Spangler had been seen with little Davy Ogle in Palm Springs and uh, some other times, I think, I think a while before that in Vegas, she had also been seen around with Frank Nicoli, another gangster. Now, here's the thing. Frank Nicoli is going to pop up in the timeline after this. But according to probably the man who actually killed Frank Nicoli, Frank Nicoli was dead Labor Day weekend. So a month before Gene Spangler disappeared. There's a good alibi, too. Yeah, either you're not born yet or you're already dead. Those are two good alibis. Yep. So, yeah, he disappeared Labor Day weekend. All they found was his car keys in a sewer grate. And this is according to Mickey Cohen, the life and crimes of L.A.'s most notorious mobster. Nicoli uh, was garroted by Jimmy the Weasel Fradiano. What did I say about nicknames? Yeah, you're right. Right? Legs Diamond. Come on. Kidney uh, Sapphire. Well, that's one we made up. Yeah, we made up, but it still should be a thing. It really does sound um, like a mobster. Look at the, yeah, Freddy, look at the way he pisses. He's got to pee all the time. Kidneys, get over here. <laughs> so Frediano was enemies with Cohen, and Nicole wouldn't leave Cohen for the Weasel's gang, so the Weasel garret, garroted him and tossed him in the desert with some lime. Speaking of people who disappear, mm -hmm. two days after Gene Spangler disappears... Little Davy Ogle is also missing. Of course. Now, he had been indicted for conspiracy, for conspiracy, and all they find is his car near UCLA. That's it. That's the only trace of him remaining. Um, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but they did check 
some nightclubs in Palm Springs as well. And here we get the very rare, probably never happened before, Southern California old-timey bar names. Oh, my God. Let's hear them. I can't wait. The Chi-Chi. Okay. That makes sense. The Dunes, of course. Oh, of course. The Dollhouse. That sounds about right. And the Saddle and Sirloin. Okay, that one's out of place. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying that that one should at least be. That's the Texas one, but it should at least be in Nevada. That's got to be close to the Nevada border. <laughs> yeah, probably. So yeah, I wanted to get those uh, get those in there because they're they're quite fun. So yeah, they do check that. Uh, they don't really find anything. Um, and it's three weeks after dead end, dead end, dead end. And after, three weeks after they basically find her purse, one detective said, quote, the only thing we've been able to find out is that this girl really got around. Ooh. <clears throat> so there were others linked to her at one time or another. We don't have names for them, but we've got a wealthy nightclub owner, uh, a bunch of different actors that are, of course, unnamed, a uh, rich playboy and a uh, and I'm using the exact wording from the source. A prominent educator? That One of these things is not like the others. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, prominent educators not raking it in. Well, there are... <laughs> uh, look, sometimes really hot women go for intellects. There is such a thing as sapiosexuality, where like certain women do find intelligence very, very attractive. There are rumors that Marilyn Monroe had an affair with Albert Einstein. I mean, I can see she was with um, playwrights, wrote The Crucible, Arthur Miller? I think yeah. so, yeah. I believe she was with Arthur Miller. I mean, I can see it. And she actually, I think, was she was super typecast into that role as, you know, sort of the, the dumb blonde. I think she was a lot smarter than most people gave her credit for. Or at the very least, she attempted to be smart and did her best to learn and have, have you know, have an education, which even if you don't do that well at it, is an admirable goddamn thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyhow, I don't know. I get mad about Marilyn. I don't know. I don't know how true this is, but I uh, I did, I did hear this rumor that Einstein once said that the only person who ever really, truly understood his theory of relativity and was able to explain it concisely was Marilyn Monroe. That is fantastic, if true, and I love it. I doubt it is. I saw it in a movie. <laughs> but still, you know, that was where I first learned about, about Albert Einstein and Marilyn Monroe's probable romance. I'm going to have to do some digging on that. I'm curious. So really, everything kind of quiets down on this as far as Gene Spangler is concerned until February 1950. Around that time, there are sightings, supposedly, of Gene Spangler and little Davy Ogle uh, by, I think it's by a hotel employee. And then also they were kind of trailed by a U.S. custom agents in El Paso, Texas at a hotel. And sometimes these sightings also mention the definitely dead Nicole. Now, here's the thing. Custom agents were like, oh, I think they're headed for Vegas and everything. There is speculation uh, from the author of that, that book that I mentioned that, okay, 
I say speculation, but this, this the author could have put it out there as I know this for sure. So I'm not sure which way or the other. So I'm playing it safe and saying speculation that these sightings were planted by Mickey Cohen's enemies because he had put up bail for Ogle and Nicole. If they were dead, he had to give up the money, which was $75,000 total for the both of them, uh, which comes to about 806000 in today's dollars. And basically his enemies were like, let's just make sure there's enough rumors about these two being alive, Nickley and Ogle, that he has to, he loses his bail money and maybe we'll just bankrupt him. You know, that's, if we can't get, if I don't know if we, they've tried shooting him or not, but if they can't get rid of him one way, they'll get rid of him the other. Yeah. That's clever. Just ruin him financially. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's really all we have on that. Um, Gene's sister, Betsy, did testify that Gene did not know any of these gangsters or any gangsters at all. So there is that. Um, but, you know, I don't know. You, you might testify. You, you might just kind of like, I'm just going to stay quiet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, she would be, in, in the aftermath of all of this, she would be cited in California, in Arizona, in Mexico over the next four years uh, Luella Parsons, a gossip colonist, uh, went on TV offering a $1,000 reward. That's about $10,000 now. And uh, some sources say that her mother, Jean's mother, Florence, offered one as well. But she was never found. And all these years later, the case remains unsolved. It's a missing persons case, but it's still open. She hmm. was 26 when she disappeared. The LA Times ran a story on her disappearance every year for at least three years. And then again, some in the 2000s. Um, probably some in the intervening years that we just can't access. Now, there were theories all through the years about this. And we've talked about the Steve Hodel one. Obviously, we've mentioned gangsters. So her potentially being a, you know, unintended casualty of a gang hit or even an intended casualty of a gang hit. You know, maybe she was maybe she was going to be a snitch. Who knows? Um, of course, the ex-husband is always suspected. She's got the jealous and violent ex. Really, we have all the, you know, we have the possible botched abortion. Um, we have this this whole rogues gallery of potential players who could have have acted on this it's it's almost like a it's set up to be fiction um or maybe she ran off with ogle i'd like that i like that except for the part where she abandons her daughter yeah now yeah what ha yeah what happens with christine is kind of all right so um on october 27th, 1949, Dexter Benning is giving custody of Christine. His new wife, Lynn, wanted to legally adopt Christine, but couldn't because no one knew where her legal mother was. Now, uh, Jean Spangler's mother did sue for visitation rights to see Christine, and she got them. She was awarded two times a month starting in December 1949. Damn, the courts worked quick back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? Like, this is this this is all would have taken a, a year, two years, maybe more these days. Um, but Dexter refused to let her see the child. He said 
that uh, Florence had a tendency to refer to Jean as Christine's real mother, and that would upset Christine, which I'm just, fuck you. Yeah. Is what I have to say about that. Uh, that's where I'm going there. That's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, so after he refused the visitation, he was slapped with 15 days in jail for contempt of court. However, he proceeded to run off to Florida with Christine and never returned to California. And some say was just never seen or heard from again. And the last thing I have is a quote from Jean's mother. Quote, Jean was not the kind of girl to get mixed up with people like that. Obviously the mob we're Mm -hmm. referring to here. I'm sure she would have communicated with us if she was alive and free. And nobody can tell me she would have left her baby unless she was forced to. She loved me. Uh, You don't fight for custody so hard and then just run off with some gangster and never make contact with your daughter again that we know of? Like, that's... No, that's I don't think you do that. I don't I, I don't think the evidence is there that she would have left her daughter. So I we we're pretty much left with what uh, was murdered and, and no trace ever found of her is what I think. Yeah, I, I think so. It's whenever I heard that quick lime, that's kind of where I went to because, man, nothing gets rid of a body like like lime. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Um, there's also the. Hell. All right. So we've got hotel. We've got the mobster. We've got the ex-husband. We've got the violent ex. We've got the possible botched abortion. You have all that. And then, you know, maybe there's always who's the most successful serial killer in the world. The one who's never caught. Yeah. The one whose name we still don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's always the possibility of just a really serial killer who's really good at his job. We're not job. Hobby? Compulsion. Compulsion. There we go. Really good at his compulsion. And, you know, she's one of his victims. So it could, you know, all these suspects that we can rattle off and it could have been somebody we don't even know their name because they just uh, did a really good job of it. So, yeah, there's 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 so many possibilities. And I I do want to read the the Steve Hodel book and I'm going to. uh, But until I do, I don't feel like I can be convinced one way or the other that I, I could be convinced it probably wasn't Dexter. I don't see enough evidence one way or the other. Um, uh, Hodel, like I said, I could, I could be pushed to lean towards that with some, some extra research if it sways me. Um, and uh, the mob hit thing, I feel like, yeah, like you said, lime. Yeah. Desert. I mean, how many, how many mob graves are there in the desert that we don't fucking know about? A lot. A lot. A lot. lot. They're cactus food. Yeah, right? So, yeah, that is Gene Spangler. Unless you have anything else, Scott? I do not. Well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. That was uh, was definitely an interesting one. I knew the... I kind of knew the broad strokes, but to dig in deep was, was pretty fascinating. So... So, yeah, uh, what you doing this weekend, Mr. Quinton's job tomorrow? Ooh, well... I mean, I know you have given two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm given two weeks just in case I do have to go back. You know, (laughs) I don't want to burn a bridge. Um, You know what? I I just, I want to take a little bit of time tomorrow and and spend it with Ariana. Because quite honestly, just the way things have been, uh, her and I have not gotten much time together. It feels like I'm constantly working. And and that's another reason why I want to take this job. It's going to be eight hours, eight in the morning to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, done. 
Oh my god, you're gonna have like uh, I don't want to say that like night shift or anything or anything second like anything like that is an abnormal schedule, mm-hmm. but you're gonna have a schedule that is easier to work with. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at this purely from a selfish perspective. That's the only way I know how. Yeah, <laughs> and like the job I have now, I work eleven and a half hours, four yeah. nights a week. And then drum lessons and all that. And I'm going to keep my drum lessons. Definitely going to keep my drum lessons. But at the same time, you know, a little bit more money, a lot more freedom, a lot more time with Ariana. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And honestly, Ariana is, I, I can't imagine my life without her now. It's, it's, it's the best relationship. She cares so much for me. And she goes, like, she messaged me today and went, Scott, I'm really proud of you. You know, you're, you're working hard. And I know, you, you know, you're doing it for us and you're trying to be successful. And I, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's just nice to be cared for. Speaking of being proud, I want to I uh, give a big old, hey, I'm proud of you to a lot of people in West Virginia right now, uh, especially a 30-year-old teacher named Jay Sasson. Um, he, uh, he is putting out there, he is, uh, starting a campaign, all the Confederate statues, he wants to replace them with Mothman. <laughs> yes, as a visitor to the Mothman Museum, who has a picture of myself with the Mothman and with several different Mothman artifacts, I 100% endorse this. Also, the Confederate thing is stu- stupid. Like, that, it just fucking get over it. You lost. You lost. Ariana sent me a great thing. She went, This is the Confederate flag. This is a symbol of a failed separatist state that lasted for five years. This is the Autobot logo, which is still going strong since 1984, 30-plus years later. It's more acceptable to have an Autobot flag than it is to have a Confederate flag. And the thing that drives me nuts is we live in the North, and you see fucking Confederate flags here, all right? Right? Like, you don't even have the excuse of the, the flimsiest hell excuse of, oh, Southern Heritage. You live in the North! Mm-hmm. <gasps> Sorry, I get very angry about this. I, oh, you know, no, I completely understand. And I, uh, I really suggest uh, seeing like, some, of the, some of the tweets they put out there. There's, like, uh, there's this, one, uh, this one logo where it's a Confederate soldier laying on the ground with his hand up you know, in just outer fear and the Mothman. And it just says, good night, all right. Yes, I love it. I love it. Yeah, actually... That is uh, one area where I feel like I can connect to Amber's uh, arsony tendencies. Mm-hmm. Because every time I see a Confederate flag, especially in the North, I get this just desire to light something on fire. Yeah, yeah. I want to see something. So okay, I, I'm I, 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 I <laughs> have, I'm, I'm I, I've got to say, uh, you know, I fully. And I, I think I can I can say this for everybody on on the old timey crimey podcast. We fully endorse replacing all the Confederate statues with Mothman statues. Absolutely, one hundred percent behind it. I did. There was another push to replace them with. Or there been a couple to replace them with something else, but I can't remember what. Man, a person, a statue of a person. Well, I can do some quick googling. You Google know, you know what? Interest. As far as that goes, let's. Uh... Let's do like a couple Sasquatch, you know, uh, real close to Point Pleasant. There was a Flatwoods, West Virginia, where they saw the Flatwoods monster. 
Yeah, ah. give me a Flatwoods monster t uh, sculpture there too. That'd be great. Oh, somebody's uh, Dolly Parton. That's gonna take a lot of metal to make. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, this weekend I'm actually uh, gonna be doing some work on uh, the new podcast, uh, Detectives by the Decade. By the time you listen to this episode, the first episode of Detectives by the Decade will have been released. So go check it out and give it a listen. Uh, working on a probably two-parter, I hope not three-parter, and you will also hear uh, a couple of very familiar voices on these episodes, uh, the voices you listen to every week, besides mine. <laughs> <laughs> See, I have some, some more research to do, uh, a memoir I'm, I'm reading where uh, the sentences last for entire paragraphs, and uh, yeah, so. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'm doing this weekend, is uh, more podcasting, more true crime. Yay. All the podcasting, all the true crime. That is basically my life now. So, so yeah, give it a listen. Uh, let me know if you like it. And check out the uh, check out our Facebook pages, Old Timey Crimey. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. And for the other podcasts, just I'll, I'll tell you on the other podcasts. Listen, and I'll tell you where they are. And there you go. So, um, so yeah. Uh, I hope you'll give that a shot, and I, we hope that you've enjoyed this. Make sure you check out our Patreon, our old-timey, old, no, this is old-timey, crimey, our old-timey, crimey, was the Mimi Boomhauer case, uh, and you should, you know, go take a look and uh, decide if you want to know what Mimi Boomhauer's uh, improbably named husband was, if she didn't have an... Is, improbable a name as it gets <laughs> <laughs> so yeah check that out check out our offerings there and uh yeah make sure you rate subscribe all that fun stuff you've heard it before but just remember we are independent creators it's just us on the ground doing the shit so we really appreciate uh every little gesture you can give that can help us uh you know kind of rise up some more it's it's all always very appreciated and go tell a friend about our murdery shit i've i've had a couple of those i'm not going to lie our old old murdery shit on that note thank you for listening to our filthy words appropriate <laughs> we'll see you next week bye bye My sources this week are The Charlie Project, IMDb, Wikipedia, Calisphere, The Evening Star newspaper accessed on the Library of Congress's Chronicling America project, Terry Tariba, uh, the book Mickey Cohen, The Life and Crimes of LA's Most Notorious Mobster, Arthur Lyons on Palm Springs Life, Jessica Ferry on The Lineup, Cecilia Rasmussen on The LA Times, and Steve Hodell's Black Dahlia Avenger. My sources for this week are reddit.com slash r slash unresolved mysteries, the Wikipedia article on Gene Spangler, the life and times of Hollywood.com, the charlieproject.org, and Stephen Hodell's Most Evil.